Is it a good week? Is it a good day? Is it a good future? <laughs> I heard that. There's somebody somewhere way in the back there said, Amen. <laughs> no, it is. It's a good thing. It's a good day. It's a good week. Why? Because God is with us. You know, as I, um, it, it's, it's always different trying to, you know, what sermon are you going to preach next? What, what scripture are you going to come up with? What, what thoughts are you going to have next? Well, I was listening to Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. And um, I thought, well, that, now that's something I haven't spoken on for a while, but it's so very important. So we'll perhaps see how this goes today as we look at the great prophet Isaiah and what he has to say about Jesus Christ. So this um, book of Isaiah and this part, portion of the book of Isaiah is written about six, 680 B.C. So 680 years before the birth of Christ, this book was written. And we want to keep that in mind as we go through the passages that, that, that follow. So Isaiah is, and just giving us a little background on the book of Isaiah and the prophet, Isaiah is referred to as a prophet. This office of prophet was instituted during the days of Samuel. He was the last of the judges. So what happened is in the early days of, of Israel, you know, they had all of the religious system, but they just kind of fell away. So they had what was called judges, and the judges would come in and, and proclaim their message and, you know, basically bring the judgment of God upon them until they would repent and come back to God. Well, the, the people, the nation of Israel, over a period of time, they would backslide, they would turn away from God, they would not be active, and they would start worshiping other gods. Well, after the time of the judges came the times of the prophet. And Samuel is the first of the prophets. And, well, he's the, his book is, excuse me, uh, Samuel is the last of the judges, and um, Isaiah is the first of the prophets. And so they kind of intermingle there towards the end of their lives. So the prophets stood with the priest as God's representatives uh, to the people. So the prophet and the priest, the priests were the, the ones in the temple who would offer the sacrifices and so on. So the prophets weren't out there doing their own thing. They were trying, they were work with the temple and again, bringing people back to the relationship with God, bringing people back to their, the sacrificial system and, you know, listening to what God had to say through the commandments and, and cleaning up their lives. Well, the prophet's role was to speak for God, and often that speaking, that message, was confronting people. And he confronted the leaders. And what happens when you are confronting people with God's commands and God's promises? Well, because of that confrontational stance, uh, Isaiah, Isaiah ministered about 60 years, and then in the uh, reign of... Um, What's his name here? I have it somewhere. But anyhow, the, the, uh, <laughs> the king didn't like him so well. So here he takes, he's this old man now, and he kills him. So under the rule of Manasseh, that is, the, the king Manasseh. So Isaiah has been prophesying and, and, you know, to the nation of Israel and to the nations. And, you know, after a period of time, these kings got tired of listening to his prophets, to his prophecies, and what God was speaking, and so he just killed Isaiah. 
So the book of Isaiah is the first of the writings of the prophets. Isaiah is the author. He is considered to be the greatest of the prophets. His message is one of repentance from sin. He's wanting the people to turn from their wicked ways and return to God. And so because he knew that God was going to step in, if they didn't repent of their sins, God was going to step step in and bring divine judgment and punishment to the nation of Israel. So he wanted them to miss the judgment, bring themselves back to God, and he would speak the word of God to them. So he became unpopular. People didn't want to hear what he had to say. And so as we read this, these texts today, uh, I want us to imagine this fearless man of God, this courageous man of God, proclaiming God's word and speaking, in this case, speaking what he saw, what he knew, and, and how the Holy Spirit moved on his life to proclaim something completely different than anyone understood. So his main message was to return, repent, and renew. <laughs> so his message was, return to God, repent of your sins, renew your vows to God, and, and renew your life and serve God, and, and come back to the temple and come back to worshiping God. So Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13 through 15. The Lord says, Look, my servant will succeed in what he has to do, and he will be raised to a position of high honor. So as we look at the verse, it, you know, it's like, okay. Uh, but we have to tie this verse into the ones that follow. And so he is, he is talking about, as we see this verse in, in context, verse 14, it is true that many were shocked when they saw him. He was beaten so badly that, no longer, that he no longer looked like a man. So God has, as it were, opened the curtain of time. And Isaiah, 600 years back from the birth of Christ, looks, as it were, 630 years ahead to the crucifixion of Jesus. And what he sees when he goes ahead in time, and the, the image that he beholds is a man beaten, so beaten that he doesn't even look like a man. <laughs> now, we have the passion the, the movie, The Passion, and it, it, it's, it's very graphic and depicts the, the, the whipping, the beating of Jesus that he took um, with the lashes and the crown of thorns and things like that. But it still is not as gruesome and as bad as it was in real life when it took over, when that happened with the um, Roman soldiers. You see... The Roman soldiers hated the Jewish people because they wouldn't comply. The Jewish people, you know, see, there was emperor worship, and the, the Jews, the Jewish people were not going to have another god before them. You know, that was totally not going to happen. And they were, they were believing for a deliverer. They were believing for a Messiah, but Jesus didn't come the way they wanted him to. And so when it came time to take Jesus down, to take him out, the Roman soldiers, I think, took out their vengeance and their hatred for the whole Jewish community in Israel, and they put it on Jesus. And so 
they got so carried away in their beating and plucking his beard, and it, it talks about these things in different passages, that, that whenever they were done with him, Isaiah looks out ahead in time, and the person that he sees doesn't even look like a man. Now, sometimes we, we think about the two men on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus comes along and walks with them, and they don't even recognize that it's him. Because the last image they have of Jesus is this totally beaten person. They didn't break any bones, but they tried everything they could because they buffeted him. That's what it says, they buffeted him. It means they, they punched him. It says they plucked out his beard. They ripped the beard out of his face. They took this crown of thorns, which was these long thorns, and they made it and put it on his head, and they beat those on him with palm branches because they didn't want to prick their hands as they pushed it down. And then they used this catty-nine-tails, which is a, a whip with pieces of bone or leather, uh, pieces of bone or metal in, and they just ripped him apart. One, one verse talks about how that his back was like a plowed field. Not one piece of skin left in place. So, Isaiah looks ahead and he says he doesn't even look like a man. Wow. Now, how would Isaiah know this? Well, let's look at 2 Peter. I put this in. You don't have it, Terry. 2 Peter 1.19, because it was in our lesson this morning in Sunday school. For prophecy came not in the old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So here is Isaiah, one of the great prophets, the greatest prophet, and he is moved by the Spirit, and he's, is it where the veil of time is split apart, and he's able to look out into the future 630 years <laughs> and see what takes place. And he tells us that through his sufferings, this man, this person, he would cleanse the nations. Verse 15. But it is also true that many nations will be amazed at him. Kings will look at him and be unable to speak. They will see what they have never been told. They will understand what they have never heard. And I think of this as how that even in our day there are people who have these visitations, this divine um, sovereign act of God where God appears and speaks to them in dreams and in visions and it's like they, they behold Jesus Christ and they want to know more and they seek out missionaries and they seek out people to tell them about who this Jesus is. Chapter 53. This chapter continues to speak to us about the Messiah. This Jesus who would suffer for the sins of all people. For us today, a society that avoids pain and suffering. And for us, it is a gift of modern medicine. But there is more to suffering than body pain. There is emotional and spiritual pain. When I, was in, uh, when I worked at hospice, I would often talk about spiritual pain. And spiritual pain is as real as physical pain. There is this, this spiritual agony, this spiritual darkness that people feel, and they, they are afraid to go forward and die. I remember the one lady, she's sitting on the edge of her bed, and she says, and this is a lady who said, 
don't want any preachers coming into my room. <laughs> I don't want to see one of them. I don't want any of them to come into my, my room. Of course, I listened. I went in, visited, told jokes, laughed, left. And after about, you know, a week or so, she was in the, in the unit, and after about a week or so, she says, I know who you are. <laughs> it's, oh, yeah, who am I? You're a chaplain. I go, yeah. So what do you need? Oh, I don't need nothing. It's okay. And so we went on and on and on. But anyhow, she eventually uh, went to a care facility, uh, a nursing care facility. And she's sitting on the edge of her bed, and she looks at me, and I'd visit her and things. And she, would up me, she asked me to pray eventually, to pray with her. And she was sitting on the edge of her bed, and she said, can you help me? There's a darkness in my soul. Can you help me? I said, yes. <laughs> I know the person who can. You see, there is spiritual pain that, that only Jesus Christ can, can uh, take away the darkness, that only the light of Jesus Christ can shine upon that darkness and give them hope. Well, we find that this suffering Savior came to remove the curse of sin and its effects upon people's lives. And so this message of Isaiah continues to speak. It's such prophecy that he brings out is so astounding. Who would believe that God would choose to save the world through a humble, suffering servant rather than a glorious king? You see, Isaiah has, this. what Isaiah presents here is something that no one had ever thought of before. No one had written of, no one had spoken of. They had a sacrificial system. They had animal sacrifices. They had priests. They would put their hand on the lamb and, you know, convey the sins of the nation upon the lamb, kill the lamb, and burn the offering. And then they'd have a goat called the scapegoat. They would take it outside the tent, outside the meeting place or the, 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 where everybody lived, and they would chase it out into the wilderness as if their sins were removed from them. Scapegoat. Well, Isaiah writes about something entirely different. Verse 1 of 53. Who really believed what we heard? Who saw in it the Lord's great power? Who can see in Christ his great power? We who are in a living relationship with Christ can. As we look back on this, we, get it, we can see these things coming together. Verse 2. He was always close to the Lord. He grew up like a young plant, like a root growing in the dry ground. There was nothing special or impressive about the way he looked. Nothing we could see would cause us to like him. So Jesus grew up as a carpenter's son. And he was ordinary. And he was not a handsome man. He was a person that no one looked at him and said, oh, there goes a king. He was the person that no one really noticed. He grew up in a dry, like a root in a dry ground. He grew up in a community that nobody paid attention to him. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. Nothing that would cause us to look at him and think, wow, that's, 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 a, that's a good person there. Well, Israel would miscalculate this, this servant's importance. They would consider him ordinary. 
You see, ordinary is a word that we need to really look at. Because too often we consider ourselves ordinary. How many times have you ever said, I'm just an ordinary person? Well, you know, extraordinary is the extra that God puts in the mix. (laughs) When God comes into your life, that becomes the extraordinary, the extra special, the extra that needs that we need to have to give us the strength and the determination to continue on. But they consider Jesus basically to be less than ordinary. Isaiah sees this 600 years ahead. Verse 4. The fact is, it was our suffering that, took, that he took on himself. No. Isaiah knew the sacrificial system. Sins are placed upon the animal, you kill the animal. Where's the suffering? But he says, this lamb of God, which he doesn't call, but this, this servant of God over here, he took on himself, he bore our pain. And we thought God was punishing him for something he did. He could see and know what the people of that time were thinking and saying. They were killing him because he claims to be the Messiah. They were taking his life because he was something extra special that they couldn't understand. So what are we going to do with him? We'll kill him. Somebody has to die for the people. That's what they said. Verse 5. But he was being punished for what we did. Not for what he did, but for what we did. He was crushed because of our guilt. You know, that's, that's an interesting word. When people feel guilty, when the, when the guilt of life pushes down on them, people feel crushed under the weight of life and under the weight of sin. They feel like they can't even breathe sometimes because they are, they're, they're, and I try to push it off and it's just, it's just a, 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 an emotion. It's just something that goes, no, it doesn't go away. It's the spiritual pain of the crush of guilt. But Jesus, he took that upon himself. All of the guilt, you see, when we are saved, when we give our sins to Jesus, Guilt no longer has a place in our life. Guilt no longer has a place. We are forgiven. Guilt is banished. (laughs) He took the punishment that we deserve, and this brought us peace. He took the punishment that we... He who knew no sin became sin. Jesus took the sin of the world and he took it upon himself. Isaiah sees this 600 years ahead. You know, it's almost like when you read these chapters, it's like Isaiah is summarizing the Gospels. It's like he's read the Gospels and he said, this is the summation of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And he is writing this, but he's writing it 600 years ahead of time. What's going on? We are in a living relationship with God. 
time and space has no bearing on it. You see, whenever we believe a promise, you have a problem, God, by the Holy Spirit, conveys a promise to our heart. You know, it's not, a, it's not like a, one of those things you spin around, you know, and there's promises at every one of the little notches, and where it stops, that's your promise for the day. <laughs> no. God will inspire his word to a promise or to whatever we need, and it's like the, God is telling us, I'm, I want you to know I'm separating time, and this promise is telling you that out there, it's going to be okay. <laughs> you see, God tells us, the dead in Christ shall rise. So if I die, when I die, if Christ hasn't returned, I'm going to be okay. Why? Because the Holy Spirit in us will quicken our bodies and we will rise. So that's out in the future. We see that. Oh, because the promise speaks it to us. Isaiah saw this when he looked ahead. You know, he was being punished for what we did. He was crushed because of our guilt. He took the punishment we deserve, and this brought us peace. We were healed because of his pain. <laughs> Many scholars have wondered how an Old Testament person could understand the idea of Christ dying for sin, actually bearing the punishment that we deserve. It's one thing to kill a lamb, but to think God chose that God's chosen servant would be the lamb. It's an astounding thought, even for us, but for Isaiah, it was off the charts. God was pulling aside this curtain of time and knowledge to let people see there is a Messiah coming. But you know, the people of the time of Jesus forgot about this passage. <laughs> they thought that they were getting a king like David. They didn't think of a suffering servant. Verse 6. We all had wandered like sheep. We had gone our way, and yet the Lord put, on, put all our guilt on him. <laughs> Isn't that something? We all like sheep have gone astray. Jesus uses the illustration that the shepherd left the 99 and went for the one. He talks about, I am the shepherd. I'm the good shepherd that lays down his life for his sheep. The wandering sheep. And it says that the Messiah who has come to forgive us our sin is like this shepherd searching for a lost sheep. One of the comments that I remember reading, it says, to know this and still reject Christ is a much greater sin than that of ancient Israel. Verse 7. He was treated badly, but he never protested. <laughs> he was treated badly, but he never protested. When they were accusing him, he didn't have to respond. Because he knew what the outcome was. And there was no need to respond because it would take its own path and lead its own way. You know, sometimes we need to trust that God is directing the path of our life and that, you know, life will determine the outcome, the life that God has promised to us. 
He said nothing like a lamb being led away to be killed. He was like a sheep that makes no sound as its wool is being cut off. He never opened his mouth to defend himself. Jesus before Pilate. Jesus before the the priest. Verse 8. He was taken away by force and judged unfairly the night that he was taken from the garden and the false court was put in place. The people of his time did not even notice that he was killed. People outside Jerusalem didn't even know. Many people in Jerusalem didn't even know. But he was put to death for the sins of his people. Verse 9. He had done no wrong to anyone. He had never even told a lie. But he was buried among the wicked. His tomb was with the rich. (laughs) Joseph of Arimathea, the rich man, who had a tomb that no one had ever laid in. That's where Jesus laid. Verse 10. But the Lord was pleased with this humble servant who suffered such great pain. Even, that, even after giving himself as an offering for sin, he will see his descendants and enjoy a long life. For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. You see, Jesus looked at the cross and he knew what was coming, but he knew what was beyond the cross. And what was beyond the cross? You and I. <laughs> he, he looked to see you and I beyond the cross. He knew, and that was his joy, that you and I would be w- with him. And so it was worth the cross and all the punishment and all that. And Isaiah, <laughs> I mean, just th- 600 years, he sees it. And he writes about it. He, he is the, 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 he write, he's the prophet that writes the most about the Savior, the Messiah. After his suffering, he will see the light. <laughs> I thought of it. He descended into hell, and he was there, and after three days he rose, and he took captivity captive. He, t- he led it away because in the darkness he becomes the light. <laughs> And he is the light of life and ascends, and ascends out of darkness and death. The Lord says, my servant who always does what is right will make his people right with, him, right with me. He will make a way, he will take away their sins. Wow. I mean, my servant will justify many, I think one of the versions has. Verse 12. For this reason I will treat him as one of my great people. I will give him the reward of the one who wins the battle. He will share them with his powerful ones. (laughs) That's us. I will do this because he gave his life for the people. He was considered a criminal. Truth is, he carried away the sins of many. Now, he will stand before me and speak for those who have sinned. (laughs) I mean, Isaiah... He says that this Messiah will stand before God and speak for those who have sinned. He ever lives to make intercession for us. (laughs) I mean, can you just, I mean, the the revelation, the understanding that came to Isaiah's mind, he was moved by the Holy Spirit, and this was totally contrary to everything that he knew about the religious system. Everything he understood about the temple and the sacrifices and the priests and the laws and all those things, this was totally contrary. Because when Pete, whenever uh, Stephen spoke about this, the, the authorities stoned Stephen 
to death because he spoke of what Isaiah spoke of, Jesus, his resurrection, he being the Messiah. Well, you see, I think for us, it's one of those things in which we have to understand that God has done this for us. And that whenever those promises that God speaks to us, we can look at them and say they don't fit to this moment. But like Isaiah, we can, God can move the part time for, and say, this is to carry you through to here. And I want you to know that the outcome of that is over there. That is the promise of God. And the Holy Spirit will move upon our hearts and our lives. The Holy Spirit will move the word to a a special place inside of us that will let us know into our hearts and minds that we are in a living relationship with Jesus Christ. We are in a living relationship with Jesus Christ. We are in a living relationship with Jesus Christ. We are in a living relationship with Jesus Christ. He ever lives to make intercession for us. He prays for us. He prays for you. And the revelation is not just the people who saw Jesus, but you see, God has a way of speaking to us about that which, is, which ha- hasn't come yet. That's why I wanted to pray for people who are lost, don't know Christ as their Savior. Why? Because God has a plan. And he's letting us in on something. Curtain pulled back. Pray for them because up there, in the time ahead, they will come to know me. So you see, we live with expectation. And so as we place our hope in Jesus, he is there to fulfill our hope. And as we rest in faith, knowing that God will watch over us, he has a plan and a purpose. And we often... Quote, well, we can quote Isaiah 44, 24. This is what the Lord says, our Redeemer. The one who formed you in your mother's womb. I put the skies there myself. I spread out the earth before me. Okay, this is the God. Put you in your mother's womb. Created the heavens and the earth. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you. You see, all of this fits. And, and it isn't about, well, let's just say it's about, G, about God's revelation to a man, I, uh, Isaiah, 600 years before it happened. And he writes it as almost a summary of the Gospels. And I, I believe that the Holy Spirit that moved upon Isaiah and moved upon the prophets to write the text and moved upon those who wrote the New Testament. The Holy Spirit that moved upon them is the same Holy Spirit moves upon our life to help us interpret those texts. The same Holy Spirit inspires those texts to our hearts and minds because we have a living relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing is impossible with God. Amen. What do we see as God opens the curtain of time? What is the promise that he places on your heart that we look forward to? Heaven 
That's it. That's there. But you see, there's other things too. Let God speak to our hearts. We don't have to have dreams and visions and some spectacular thing. It can be just the word, a text, a verse, and he will make it real to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that Isaiah was able to look ahead and he was able to write these things before, 600 years before they would ever start to happen. Lord, we thank you for hearing our prayer and that, Lord, you know the outcome of where we are going. And so you speak your word to our heart to give us strength for this day, give us strength for the journey, for what is ahead, we are grateful. We know that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. We know that you have a plan for us and a purpose for us. We know, Lord, that there is a destination, and God, you are going to take us there, lead us there by your Spirit. So, God, we ask for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We ask, O oh Lord, for the Word of God, that living Word of God, to work in our hearts, our minds, our will, our actions, that we might become that child of God that you desire because we are in this living relationship with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.